Hello, welcome to the Session 6 Sport Performance Podcast, powered by Weight Endurance. I'm your host, Cody Weight, sitting across the table with my co-host and lovely wife, Kathy Weight. Hello, everybody. Uh, we are back with um, episode 13 of our podcast series, brought to you by our 2020 Base Builder Program. Uh, our program takes you through our annual off-season base training thought process and training progressions to make you a fit, fitter and faster rider by spring. And as mentioned before in earlier episodes, this is our 15th year of hosting this base builder program in-house or, you know, in-person here in Denver, um, and our third year offering a remote program where people are following along at home, and um, that's the intention of this podcast, is to provide those insights and information um, so people can more effectively um, nail our base builder program. (laughs) It's helpful to have something to listen to and follow along with if you don't get to see us face-to-face at the facility. Right. We offer a lot of, hopefully, useful nuggets in person when we're coaching people. <laughs> it's much easier when you're in person to give like this little anecdotal tips and tricks and things. So hopefully we can provide those to you here um, via the, the podcast recording. Um, so we are back, like I said, with episode 13. Uh, we are going to focus on base builder block two and dig into week 10 details week number 10 of our base builder program Um, but before we do that i want to apologize or we want to apologize because we missed a week of um of the show our our goal setting out here was to kind of a weekly episode coming out at the end of each week that gives the details for next week's training um and we were on uh, going into a recovery week, um, and, and we're taking a tr- we were tra- took a trip. Um, yeah, we were gone for ten days. Ten days. Packed all the podcast equipment, yeah. thinking we would do a podcast from Durango, the special guest. And our days there, two and a half days, were just so packed. It, it just couldn't couldn't work. So packed. Yeah, yeah. it was. I, th- I thought for sure we could get it in. Um, yeah, it did not work. So we're. We'll save our special guests for another time. We will be back to Durango probably in the spring. Yeah. Um, so we wanted to fill you in about why we were in Durango. Say a little bit about that first. Um, yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Cody. Um, so <clears throat> yeah, we started the trip out uh, in Durango. That was the, the Colorado High School Mountain Bike NICA League State Championships. So we coach um, our Wii development team um, that has comprised mostly of high school athletes. Um and we had a good number of them racing. So yeah, five, six, or seven. I, lost I think five game. from this 2019 season team, plus some of our new oh, additions um, that will be joining yeah. us for 2020. So we had a lot of people to see. Yeah, and, and there were two days of racing, and that's why the time was so busy. So between watching some of the kids on Saturday and then our daughter Sophia needing to pre-ride on Saturday as well, plus there was like a picnic for the all the families in town, and then she raced and the other varsity kids raced on Sunday. It was it was jam-packed. Jam-packed, yeah. And, we, and we've said before on previous episodes how great these NICA races are. Um, if you haven't been to one and there's one in your area, definitely go check them out. Durango, I mean, being the mountain bike crazy town that it is, I mean, lived up to its uh, its. Yeah, there were thousands reputation. Of, of kids and families there. So they, they pulled off another great weekend of racing. Yeah, and it was exciting. The weather wasn't... It, oh gosh. It was a little chilly and it was windy and it, it, it seemed like it hadn't rained all summer there. It yeah, was so the dusty. Hard part but for me was the wind because it would it would blow up the, the dirt on your face. I think we felt like we were covered in dirt. 
Yeah. In every nick, nick and cranny and crevice on our bodies all weekend long. Yeah, by the end, I was definitely had enough of, of that. Anyway. <laughs> um, so how did the kids do? Yeah, fill us in. Oh, well, <laughs> it seemed like most of the kids were pretty worn out from a long season of, of racing. They raced pretty solidly all summer, and the Nike League extends the race season for another two to three months. So, um, yeah, like, we had some good results by some of the kids, but I think they were sort of disappointed. Yeah. We were not disappointed in them. We just saw, like, a lot of heart while they were racing and could just tell they were just tired. It's an enormously long season because a lot of our riders started racing in March, maybe April mm-hmm. uh, for sure, and then, yeah, to go all the way through more or less to the end of October. Of course, we included some breaks in there, but... Um, it's still just a long season, and um, yeah, I think some of them are running on fumes. Yeah, so we saw a lot of heart, but probably probably they didn't get the results they wanted. Um, except for, we, we should just kind of brag about Sophia for a second. Um, even though she's our daughter, it's, she's still a member of the We Devo team, so we can brag. Um, she raced in the varsity girls race, and it's pretty competitive. There are a few girls, especially from Boulder, these two girls, Ada and Madigan, who are incredible. And she's been duking it out with them for the entire Nike season. So, um, as expected, it was in a fantastic race. Um, it really wasn't a race for first for Sophia because Madigan Monroe from Boulder just shot off the line from the get go. Yeah, she's amazing. Dominated. She was sixth at, at World Championships yeah, so this summer. Huge kudos to her. We were very excited for her. And then Sophia sat in with a group of kids, including Ada. Um, and they battled it out for second, and Sophia was able to pull off a second place finish for the the state championship race. Yeah, she did. Yeah, it was awesome. Did great. Okay, so then from Durango. Yeah, so kind of the second part of the trip was well, from Denver to Durango is about six ish hours, and then um, I grew up in Phoenix, and my dad still lives down there, and we love riding down in Arizona. So we took the opportunity, since we were halfway there, to um, another six hours to get down um, to the Phoenix area, and, and we spent um, two nights there, and then we went to Prescott for a night, um, and then made our way over to Santa Fe. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of the rest of the week. Essentially, we just got in um, a lot of driving, and then some nice uh, fi- three good solid rides um, to kind of wrap up our own kind of fall aerobic foundation base miles um, with some nice warmish weather, warmer than here, um, at least, Denver. Um, and yeah, so we called it our put, ride-cation. Ride-cation. It was not a training camp. It was a ride-cation. We wanted to have fun with it, um, but challenge ourselves with some longer rides. Although I will say, like for Sophia and I, it was a much bigger challenge than for you because you, um, you just have more miles under your belt so a six-hour ride to you doesn't feel as, as challenging right. and difficult as it does for Sophia and I um but you graciously played our tour guide basically for for some of your favorite routes yeah it was yeah great. yeah so we got in three really solid rides basically it was we started Monday in Flagstaff with a couple of hours oh, yeah, kind of shake out the legs. yeah after driving um so we got Tuesday, what we basically did is a Tuesday long ride, Wednesday gym gym session to kind of recover, um, Thursday with long ride again, Oh yeah, Friday. Thursday was our, um, basically we reconned the Whiskey 50 course on our 
a cross bike, so our gravel tires. We couldn't do the single track, but we did like more of the roads. Right, and then followed that up with a drive to Santa Fe. It's a long day in the car, um, and then wrapped it off with Saturday, one last big ride. So yeah, so uh, basically like three, five to six hour rides, which for me was huge. And um, frankly, I had a lot of like apprehension going into each ride because I wasn't sure if my my knee would be okay with it and you know when I'm home and I'm doing a big ride I can I know the routes around here and I know where I can bail out and yeah and um you know call it a day and I I just wasn't sure how it was all going to play out you know we we did this one loop that you call the crown king loop and if you start that when you get halfway out in the loop like you're out there you're committed you're committed so you have there's one store not much (laughs) else a lot of big hills um but I'm happy to report that I was able to do all the writing, and definitely my knee is tight and a little bit uncomfortable today after the last ride yesterday, but it's okay. I, I sort of expected that, and I planned ahead. Um, I made a PT appointment tomorrow at 3, and I just kind of need like a little once-over by um, one of the PTs, and I think I'll be feeling good again by the middle of the week. Good. Um, yeah, and I guess one of the things we learned from... The, at least I wanted to talk about from the long rides we did was fueling. Um, man, it was like an eye opener for me on that the first big ride we did, the Crown King Loop. It was the first time I felt like I had fueled properly and enjoyed the entire long ride. Okay, I'm learning that my body is just like this Pac-Man that just chomps up all the food I take. Like I think my superpower is metabolizing. Yeah, you have a high metabolism. Yeah, and it's not necessarily a good thing when it comes to these long rides because I I need to eat a lot of food. Um, the struggle for me is I don't have a very big stomach and I have a very short waist and so I can't eat more than a certain number of calories in the morning before we ride. And I did my best. Like I made the biggest bowl of oatmeal you've ever seen. <laughs> felt like it anyway. And shoved it down my gullet. Um, but I learned that if I did things like, and this may sound crazy, but like drink a Coke before the ride um, at 9 a.m. And <clears throat> some extra carb treats, like I had a pack of those nasty white donuts. <laughs> but it, it was kind of a fun treat to have for the ride. I ate them before I even started. And then three hours in, we stopped at that store, and I, oh, no, I had already eaten, like, a, a peanut butter sandwich and some Swedish fish on the way to that store. And then hour three, I had even more food. Right. And it was the first time I felt good like Sophia had a little bit of a sugar crash meltdown at like hour four and a half and I was like let's do it girl and I was just like feeling amazing yeah you rode much better the the second half yeah of the the first ride so it was a real eye-opener to me about how I need to eat better before a big ride and consequently probably how I need to fuel better for races I'm looking back now on my my race life I I think I've been underfueled Probably every race. And it's what we've been preaching to the kids on our mm-hmm. our athletes on our We Devo team. You know, just it's free speed. You need to take in the sugars. Every 30 minutes, take a goo. But I don't think I've done a good job myself. And, um, okay. yeah, this this trip is a huge eye-opener for me about how I want to feel better for training rides, but also the, the next set of races I do. Yeah, you seem to be, like you said, high metabolism. You've got to eat more or less constantly for the most part. Right. and. You're not necessarily eating, like, for health and, like, the, quote, healthiest options. No, they're not the healthiest options. You're eating purely to 
fuel yourself to get through the ride. Um, you know, and there's many different schools of thoughts on all that, but it's like you're figuring out what works for you because everyone's different. You know, some people, if they had Cokes and donuts and whatnot on rides, like it might totally rip their stomach up or just might not work for them. Right. And and you're, you've, you're, but what's great is you're figuring out what works for you because I mean, training's different for everyone. Diet is different for everyone. And, you know, the foods we eat to get through these long rides is, can and is different for everyone. Yeah, and in general, I eat an extremely healthy diet. Lots of fruits and vegetables, healthy options, but that's not always going to work on a trip or a training. For, for fueling, right? yeah. So, yeah. like, if I were home, I could <clears throat> bake some potatoes and have those in my pockets and blah, blah, blah. That might be great, but we're in Arizona. I cannot bake a baked potato, and so, I, you know, you stop at a grocery store or, like, a gas station, pick something that's going to make you happy on that ride. Yeah. And, you know, for me, it's probably those white donuts or, like, the a, a Snickers or a, definitely a Coke. Like, I'm always craving a Coke or potato chips. But, um, yeah, it was just a really eye-opener for me. And another thought about that with racing is I think one of the reasons I tended to underfuel for races is because I didn't like what I was taking. Okay. But you started using those SIS gels. Mm-hmm. This year, and I didn't get to race, so I didn't use them during races, but I have used them on a few rides, and they're so easy to consume. Yes. Like, and this is not, we're not sponsored by them, we're not plugging them because we get anything back from them, but I can't believe how much easier they are to take. Yeah, I would agree. And so, um, I'm looking forward to trying a better race fueling strategy when we race again. Yeah, so she's talking about science and sport, SIS, gels, they're kind of, they're, they're, fairly unique in the sense that their their big thing is that their uh the osmolality i think is uh, is mm, you know easier to absorb in the system so um what they are is they're a little bigger than a traditional gel pack that's maybe like an ounce or maybe even slightly less than an ounce these are closer to like two ounces um but there's a lot higher essentially in simple terms a lot higher water content in them mm-hmm. so they're Rather than being like cake frosting consistency, they're semi-liquid. You know, they're they're thin, um, so they're easy to sort of suck down. Mm-hmm. Um, although I found there's so much larger, it's almost like two. You can't just like do one quick gulp to get. In my opinion, from what I found, it's like you kind of have to like have enough space if you're mountain biking or you know on a bumpy road or whatever, like to get kind of two. Well, I would agree with you. Sucks of it. But- the same applies for, for, for traditional gel, in my opinion. Oh, okay. I, I took, we have some old gels in the car, and I, I threw some in my pockets for these long rides just to use them up. And they're so hard for me to swallow that it's at least to, like, squeeze and gulp, hold in my mouth, try not to throw up, take a swig of water, and swallow it down like I'm taking vitamins. And that's two or three times. I don't know how people just zip up an entire yeah. gel yeah. one swallow. So anyway, my two cents on that. Yeah. Much more and, preferred. And to finish on the SIS, so the traditional thicker gels are intended to be consumed and then followed with water to make it more easily digestible and, and easier on the stomach, mm-hmm. I suppose. These are essentially adding the kind of more water to the gel itself. So in theory, you can consume this without any water which is one of the reasons why it's so much easier to get down. It's more palatable. You're still getting that like 90 to 100 calories per package like you are with a traditional gel. But they're, in, in my opinion, the, the consistency is way better. It's easier to get down. Mm-hmm. 
And then also, like, the flavors are just more... I liked that they were quite a sweet. Palatable, yeah. Maybe because they're diluted a little bit. Right, I think that's, the, God, that's what's so going on. It's much easier there. for me to... To take those, yeah. Things. So we, I mean, there you go. We both highly recommend the science and sport gels, and we, I think we picked those up um, at Marathon Nationals earlier this year in Texas, like at the registration table, because I think mm, they right. work they with USA Cycling. Yeah, so we grabbed like a handful of them, and we're like, oh, let's. <laughs> these use, are pretty awesome. We haven't tried these. Let's give them a go. So, um, so yeah, highly recommended. Um, and then I guess to let me give my two cents on the fueling stuff too. I guess for those that are interested. Um, I know some people are always curious about, you know, what do people eat when they ride and whatnot. Um, so for these rides that we were planning, which were, yeah, kind of in the five, six-hour range, um, for me, I'm very much, um, I'm different than you. So I do uh, a large breakfast. I can get a lot of calories yeah, in. all your years of um, training back in your 20s where you would, your coach would tell you to eat a huge breakfast that paid off. Like, yeah, you could put it down. Yeah. So, cause you can train the gut essentially and to be able to not only hold a large amount of food, like jam a bunch in there, <laughs> but be able to kind of digest it over many hours, you know, low to moderate intensity. So for a long ride, like we were doing very low intensity. Um, I know going into it, let's go for a big breakfast. So if I'm at home, what I do, my kind of my go-to is either pancakes or waffles, um, and a, a lot of them, um, to the tune of, let's say, a 1,000 calories, give or take. That's like pancake waffle with, like, the butter and the syrup and some fruit um, and that sort of thing. And then on top of that, I might have, like, a cappuccino or two, so there's another 100 calories um, and so forth. So getting kind of, like, 1,000 to 1,200 calories in one... 20 minute or so feeding of breakfast. Um, <laughs> That's like a farm animal. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot. And not everyone can do that right away. And you kind of have to like train yourself essentially to get that up. Now, this is for going out on a long ride. This is not like a normal daily breakfast. It's, it's not necessarily a race day effort either. Exactly. You fill your belly that full and, you know, have stomach cramps or nausea while yeah. you're racing. Yeah, R- race day breakfast is entirely well not entirely but it's much it's smaller maybe not depends on the race but it's different um and then for these for me for these rides if i can get in that thousand plus calories for breakfast predominantly carbohydrates with some fats um i can ride easily three hours really with just water you know maybe a banana in my pocket or something um and then when you when i get kind of up to that three hour mark that's when i'll start consuming one to 200 calorie snacks, whatever that is, you know, peanut butter and jelly sand or peanut butter and honey is kind of my favorite right now. Um, sandwiches just homemade, you know, in a Ziploc bag, um, eat a half of that, you know, at, at one point and then an hour later, eat the other half. Um, those fig bars from Costco yeah, nature's, really what well. do they call nature's path, path bakery? Sure. Um, but basically, basically a fancy fig Newton, um, a couple of those, um, but you're Works not well. eating for about three hours. Yes, if I've Maybe eaten the big breakfast okay. and I'm riding slowly, getting those sort of you know low intensity base miles. Yeah, I'm not because I'm not hungry. I just gorged myself. Okay, and that's what I forgot to mention already. That was the the big eye opener was that I started eating like an hour within the ride before I was even hungry, just to stay ahead. Stay of the ahead. Day. That was right. my big takeaway. Like, I had Swedish fish loose in my left pocket where I could just easily grab them because I'm not the best bike handler where I feel comfortable mm-hmm. sitting up and taking off wrappers. 
So it was just easy to, to grab. And I was like, just sort of shoving Swedish fish in my mouth for yeah. the first bit. I had calories in my bottle. Mm-hmm. And I normally don't do that either. But it was helpful to have just an easy form of calories. And then, I yeah, I was just eating my, my peanut butter sandwich before I even got hungry. Okay. Yeah, that was the trick for me. Eat before I was hungry. Yeah, you because were... Because you knew you didn't have to. Right. You had a large for you, but medium-sized breakfast. Mm-hmm. And then you were, like, trickling the calories through <laughs> the whole... Yeah, it's like a, a, yeah. the faucet's on slowly, bringing the carbohydrates in across the whole ride, where I, like, flooded the system with a huge meal. Then I don't really need much for and a long time. And you've longer and like, more years than I have, and you know your body better. Right. And you know that's how it is. Because everyone's different, you, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the contrast to fueling well was um, obvious, our last ride yesterday in Santa Fe, we, t- we tried to do the Santa Fe Century Loop, and I, oh God, that was a disaster for me. I hadn't eaten enough the day before because we were traveling and just didn't have easy access to food, and so I went into it underfueled. Of course, this is hindsight. I didn't know at the time, and I just felt kind of tired to start, and um, it was a disaster. I did not have enough calories. I started bonking pretty quickly, but it wasn't realizing it. Um, I cried a lot. I was whining a lot, bitching a lot. It was just it was so bad. I've apologized to Cody and Sophia for my terrible behavior, but it was largely because I was just so hungry. Right. And I was tired. I wasn't used to the big rides. Yeah. And I mean, that ride itself, if anyone's done the Santa Fe Century, which we had not um, prior to this, the the course is very remote, very desolate um i mean early early on like 20 miles in you go through a little town with some food options and then after that there's like nothing for like 70 miles and we didn't really know that luckily there was water thankfully at this like church we found a hose bib um and you are way the f out there like it was awful it's kind of (laughs) crazy and having being the first time through this ride there's always like when you don't know the route for me there was like a little bit of like panic setting in because i did you know, I was like, gosh, I don't know when the next gas station is or whatever. And there were none. And it was fairly windy, so it was challenging. And then I think for you in particular, it was the third big ride of the week, your biggest mm-hmm. week really since Ever. a year ago, yeah, more better. or less. Yeah. And, you know, so you were already probably a little depleted. We also figured out that you didn't eat much the day prior because we were driving a lot mm-hmm. and we just didn't, you didn't eat enough. No. So you're coming in a little depleted. I thought I had learned from our first two big rides how to fuel, and I still completely failed on our last ride. But overall, like I learned a lot about how I need to fuel going forward. Yeah, and that's great. And these are all great takeaways for if you're going to be doing some kind of big training block or a stage race, um, a training camp where you're planning, um, you know, several days of big riding. You know, maybe later this winter or something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, staying on top of the calories and doing it right. It sounds like you've uncovered a lot of Yeah, I thought it was very productive in that sense. A lot of learning happened. Yeah. Good. Yeah, and I, I wanted to throw out a couple other tips for traveling that just came to mind as we were unloading our van um, today. We returned home to snowy weather. And yeah, that was disappointing. Ugh. We were sunshine the entire time, <laughs> like oh. 60s and 70s. And then we wake up this morning. It's kind of a slap in the (laughs) face when you come home and you're just excited to be home, but the weather is crappy and it's not fun to unload the van and put things away when you're sloshing through like a wet driveway. Yeah. 
But I just had a couple of tips for traveling. And some of them we mentioned with the food, just planning ahead with your food. Um, so if you're planning, a, say, a four to five or more day away from home, and you can plan ahead with food for the either just even the traveling portion before you get to your home base, it can be very helpful. So for our family, for, for the three of us, um, we're pretty simple. Like I, I knew that we packed vegetables and hummus, an array of fruit. Uh, I made some tuna salad and brought crackers to go with it. I made one of our favorite... Um, go-to items called an edamame salad that has edamame and radishes and vinegar and some vinegar and salt and cilantro and um it's and some oil it's pretty easy so we i spent a few hours planning ahead with the food and it made that at least the trip down there so much easier yes for sure which was obvious when we home that we didn't have that food already planned and it was a little bit um just a little bit more difficult and we had to eat taco bell one night but they do have a good vegetarian menu nowadays. <laughs> yes, so, that's like a little tip. I mean, it wasn't like my favorite, but it's better than the the old Taco Bell. If you're on the road, my personal opinion, you're on the road. Your options are extremely limited. To me, if you're lucky, an Applebee's, but maybe it's just fast food or something. Um, Taco Bell, because now they have black bean and rice. Like black bean is an option for whatever. Right, you you're making out yeah anything. you you essentially can kind of build your own meal now which i didn't realize you go in and it's like this computer board so instead of talking to the human at the counter there's like a little board <laughs> so you can build it so yeah you can get black bean rice burritos um yeah. and it's not as good as chipotle yeah they don't much better taste than, amazing but it's much better than a lot of things out yeah. there but um yeah plenty ahead for food so you can feel good about what you're putting in your body and then um just packing some of your favorite things that make you happy. Uh, some people are very simple travelers. They go with the flow. They can sleep anywhere. They don't really need all their favorite things. But you're things. a little more high maintenance. I'm a little bit more finicky or particular, but that's okay. And so, like, for me, I just need to have things like my favorite pillow. Um, I want to have my vitamins. I want to have, like, my my flip-flops that make me happy. A and fan. I need to have a fan. A fan for the white noise. Um I take some books, and then if I have my books, I need to have my reading glasses. Which and your reading light. And I just started wearing reading glasses <laughs> and my reading light. So planning ahead. Don't feel badly if you like to have your little particular things. You don't have to just be like your 16-year-old self that would just take a backpack with a few things and go. Like You can pack your favorite things to make the trip feel better. And True. then planning for your return. It's also a little bit stressful for me to return to my normal life. And so I look, I, when I, before I leave town, I look ahead to that week when we return. And I think, what do I need to plan now that will make the return to normal life easier? Um, that, that could be changing some, uh, changing some appointment times, um, making a PT appointment. We made you um, a massage for tomorrow. Um, and I did something new this time. I planned to have my friend Katie clean our house while we were gone. Which is it felt a little bit extravagant at the time to schedule that because I've you know three daughters that can clean and I actually like to clean, but it was busy before we left town. I did not have time to clean. I cannot tell you what a relief it was to come in the door and to have a clean house. Yeah, she had her door code came in. Yep, cleaned quite well. I'll oh, say. Oh yeah, she did a great yeah. job, and I'm very <clears throat> picky about it. So it. Yeah, I was worried if she would live up to your <laughs> standards, but so just that's a little pro tip, maybe if you can splurge for a cleaner once in a blue moon, I'm definitely going to do that in the future. Yeah, I, and I will say, coming home to literally a perfectly cleaned, vacuumed 
spotless house. house. Opening the door after driving for many hours, it was like, ah, oh, this is yeah, this is it does enough feel good. to do like unload, laundry, wash all the dishes from the van, blah blah blah. <sighs> so thank you, Katie. Um, yeah, and those are my tips for traveling. Okay, Kathy's tips, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we should make this a new uh, yeah, segment of the Kathy's show. Tips. Life tips, cleaning tips, maybe. <laughs> um, okay. So that's the fun stuff. Uh, well, the next part's fun, too, but that's like the stuff we've been up to. That's what we've been up to. All right. Um, well, yeah, thanks for sharing all that. Um, overall, yeah, I think we had a great trip. We got our final few long rides in. Um, last week in our base builder program was designed as sort of a recovery week, Um for those that really needed it, um, it was also shared that if you, um, you know, the training in block one, um, actually, let's just recap that real quick. So training in block one was um, a, a long introduction to strength training, adapting, learning all the movements, adapting to the movements, adapting to the weights, and then culminating in finding or getting very close to your one rep max. So we started with an estimate built up basically figured it out what our strength capabilities are, which is very similar to ones like FTP on the bike. So you test to find your FTP, most people do, or in our case, um, test to find your various energy system zones. Um, And then you use percentages of all that to figure out the zones and where you're going to train. So knowing what your one rep max is, from that we figure the percentages. And we've been doing this for a number of years now, probably six, seven years um, with the strength training stuff at this point. And um, we've got it pretty well figured out. And then you have a spreadsheet at that point that you plug in the numbers for block two to build up. Um, Let's talk about that because people who are in-house need to bring their new spreadsheet. Well, we haven't gotten there yet. Let me finish recapping. Yeah, you're getting excited. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so then on the bike in block one um, was all about low-intensity, you know, aerobic kind of foundation or base miles just mainly enjoying the rest of the fall season, the riding season. Um, I know here in Denver it's cold now all of a sudden, so not that we won't be able to ride outside, but it's going to become you know less conven- less enjoyable or well, easy, I guess. Just be sporadically Sporadic, nasty yeah. out there. Right. Some days it'll be lovely, and some days it will not be. Right. <clears throat> and also in block two going forward, we're going to get think get a lot more structured. So block one was very kind of loosely structured. It was a sort of go ride, keep the heart rate low, get those miles in when you can, and accumulate those minutes. So, um, so that was block one. Then last week was the recovery week. Um, we took that ridecation, um, went and got three good solid long rides to kind of put a cap on our kind of build up of those long um, long slow rides. And now we're ready to jump into block two. So block two coming up um, this week uh, is an an eight-week block. We now are, like I said, going to get a lot more structured on the bike. And we'll dig into kind of the nuts and bolts of that here in a minute. And then on the strength side of things, um, we're going to sort of reset because now we know or have a better idea at least what our one rep max capabilities are. And now we're going to focus on actually sort of building some strength for the next eight weeks. Right. Yeah. Um, so the focus in block one was more of a muscular endurance focus. We yeah, had, and adapting. Right. We had so, for example, in the push pull sets, we did low weight, high reps. And right. Now we're going to switch our focus into more of a, a building strength phase, 
lower the number of reps, the push-pull, and start increasing the, rate, the weights. Correct. So we're going to be doing all, let me think, yeah, all of the same movements, whether it's the movement prep for warm-up, um, the, those are all the same, or cycle through those. Um, our push and pull, same movements, but like Kathy just said, instead of increasing reps, keeping the weight relatively low, now we're going to increase the uh, or decrease the reps and gradually increase the weights if it's a loaded uh, weighted movement mm-hmm. um, in those. Um, the squat and deadlift is our primary strength set, um, and with that, we're going to now build a little um, focus more on building actual strength. So we won't do enormous amounts of reps. It's going to be more about um, doing heavier loads and, you know, fewer reps. Right, and we skip the core part, which is always how we start. Oh, right. Yeah, but same core movements, but um, if you have time, I think we're adding a third set. A third set. set. Yeah, if you have time. Now that you know the movements, you should be able to move through them more quickly and and get an, an extra set of the core movements. Right, exactly. Um, then after kind of near the end there where we do the power set, that's where we are introducing two new movements, um, the jumping lunge and ball throws. Um, and this is a good time to mention our YouTube channel. So if you, um, are joining us now or just interested in what we're doing, or you want to know what that jumping lunge and ball throw is, get on our YouTube channel, session six sport performance and find under in the menu area, there's, um, power movements, and I believe it's their exercises three and four, and there's a three, four-minute video on each that demonstrates and explains those. Um, and um, Well, you said you had someone ask you a question about the slam ball, the ball that is used for the ball throws. Um, this particular person yeah. said their gym doesn't have those balls, so what does he do? Um, unfortunately, really the only two choices are either don't do them and just do a jumping movement instead, or go buy one, and you can you can buy them at like your sporting local sporting goods store, um, your local like CrossFit um, supply store. Right. You can go online, Craigslist, Craigslist, eBay, Amazon. They're really not that expensive, and just get like a um, 20, 15, 20 or thirty pound ball. Yeah, spend. I think it's a, you're going to spend about thirty to forty dollars, and then you'll have it. And you could just take it with you to the gym. You could keep it in your car. Yeah, um, they last forever. They, yeah, they last forever, and there's a lot you can do with it. Easy to store. Uh, yeah, and, and a real quick thing on the ball throws. Why I like ball throws, why I think they're really cool, is they're one of the few movements we do that's like, um, I think they refer to it as like an open chain movement, meaning there's only like the explosive like push or pull movement of what you're doing, like throwing in this case. Um and you don't, you aren't like lowering yourself or the bar or the weight back mm-hmm. down. You're letting go. You're throwing the object, the, uh, the heavy ball in this case. So you get to like boom, like power throw and get rid of it. Right. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Um, Rather, it's like an explosion of power. You're creating the power and releasing it. Yeah, and in most strength movements, we we have some sort of weight that we are lifting in some manner or pulling in some manner, um, and then we have to have like that recovery the other direction to mm-hmm. get, get back to the starting point where the ball it's like there's it's just one boom movement well if you have access to like a sled push or a sled pull that also would be a great movement we don't have that on our spreadsheet but uh, if you know what i'm talking about it's like pushing this apparatus it's heavy and you can add weights to it and they're typically seen in crossfit gyms but 
you could be lucky at your local gym where you're lifting weights and have access to one. Yeah. They're pretty awesome. They're cool, but they're they're even harder to come by probably than the yeah. balls that you throw. Yeah, you don't want to buy one of those, but you could usually <laughs> buy some sort of weighted slam ball for your yeah. own personal arsenal. Right, exactly. Um, so let's touch real quick. If uh, So there, there's a new spreadsheet. So if you were doing block one, you're done with the first round of the spreadsheet, mm-hmm. Go in to well, the, the Excel file. It's just a different tab. Yeah, it's a phase two. There's a tab at the bottom, the Excel file. Click on that. You're going to take your one rep max or whatever you've you know, kind of determined that to be. Plug that in, and that may may or may not have changed, right? You had some feelings. Yeah, I wanted to feelings. say something about that because um, I was supervising the, the strength classes in-house for us in, in week eight, and we were maxing out or... I hate to use the word max, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, yeah. I just said, don't feel like you have to max. Just go to a heavy one rep. So if you're not, you know, you can have this, like, feeling of like fear that I don't want to consume people that are working out in my class. Good point, yeah. So I just like to call it a heavy one rep. Um, it may or may not be your max, and that does not matter, to be honest. It's going to be heavy enough to base your next eight weeks of training on. Yes. But I told people that were finding their new heavy one reps that that may be very similar or the same as their guesstimated numbers that they plugged into block one of the spreadsheet because they they may have trained with us last year and done a really good job of guesstimating where they thought they were and they were there and they they trained at the, at the appropriate level they adapted well and those are still the numbers they should use for the next block because now we're going to do heavier percentages more frequently right right. So, uh, yeah, so don't, it, I didn't want people to feel like they failed if they didn't find a new one rep when they were testing with us. So if, if you were doing this on your own and you, and you said, well, gee, I was at 120 for my deadlift and I'm still at 120. Okay, you didn't fail. It's It means you guesstimated well and that's the appropriate number for the next block. Yeah, you want to come out of block one with a better understanding of what you're capable of, what the right loading should be, and then you, you plug that in and move forward. Exactly. Yeah, if someone's joining us from their own home. Mm-hmm. And they they are joining us now for the remote plan, but they didn't do block one. Mm-hmm. Should they go back and do block one of the strength training? Yes. So good question. Um, we ha- and we've had a lot of people start up or sign up in the last couple of weeks, intending to start in block two, which is perfectly acceptable and great. Welcome. Because they're going to start with the trainer class with us. Yeah. So our trainer program, the structured cycling workout, start in block two. And then we, if you have done block one in the gym, you're ready for block two in the gym. If you haven't, if you're just starting with block two, I strongly recommend you start with block one, the block one spreadsheet tab for the strength training because you still want to, if you haven't lifted weights recently or ever for sure, you want to start at the very beginning okay, where it's very light and easy. Adapt. You don't want to be so sore that you don't even want to get on the trainer the next day for the trainer yeah, session. Yeah, we don't want to. The goal isn't to make you as sore as possible. The goal is to do just enough work to stimulate a, you know, the ability to um, adapt to the stress and and move on. Because um, we want to be able to train every day. Um, so that said, if you're just starting in block two, start with phase one in the gym. With the one exception of if you're a very well-seasoned strength athlete, you know, if you've done a lot of strength training and look at the spreadsheet, if it makes sense to you, you can certainly start with phase two, um, the, the, the actual strength build, if you've been doing some um, lifting recently, okay? Um, but otherwise, just start with phase one 
And then when we get into phase three, you'll be in phase two for the strength build, um, you know, yeah, and, and build up. It'll, yeah, it works great. appropriate way to, to start with us. Exactly. Um, if you have any questions about the strength, sp- strength spreadsheet and you're just new to joining with us, or even if you have been doing the program, you can uh, send us an email uh, to Cody at session6.com, Cody with a C, or Kathy with a K at session6.com, or post questions on our forum. And what's the, the link for that? Um, endurance.session6.com slash forum. And we'll have links in our in the okay. show notes, too. Yeah, that you can find. Just reach out with questions. Don't We don't want you to be frustrated. Um, ask, ask away. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so that's the strength part of uh, block two. It will start um, kind of moderate, light to moderate, and then kind of build up to definitely moderate to heavy to moderate. Yeah, loading as we go. Yeah, so we won't be doing tons of reps, but more uh, the reps will be heavier within that. So just focusing on building strength. All right, um, all right. So now let's move on to the cycling portion. Um, like we've said, we're moving into a more structured phase, um, which for most people means um, getting on the trainer. Um, and I would even say for those folks that don't quote have to be on the trainer or are very trainer adverse. Um, to consider doing these on the trainer. But if you don't want to do these workouts on the trainer, they are you are able to do them outside. Now, some of the cadence work that we're going to talk about here can be a little difficult or maybe not quite as effective outside, but it can you can... A little bit of outside cadence work is certainly better than no cadence work at, at all. Um, Would someone outside doing cadence work need to find kind of like a... A long, flat road? Flat, for sure. Even slightly downhill, potentially. Um, But uh, honestly, I mean, even if you live where it's beautiful and you can ride, I I still think doing the trainer workouts is Oh, I agree with you. I I just know some people will refuse. And we we want them to still do the program, and it can be done outside. Yes. It's just definitely the ILTs and the cadence work is not as easy. Right. That is for sure. Um, So let's dig into that. So if... Uh, let me pull it up here real quick so I make sure I'm speaking correctly. So if you're following this week, um, which would be week 10 of the Base Builder program, um, we actually start Tuesday with uh, testing. So our last episode, episode 12, we covered in detail the testing protocol. So if you haven't listened to that yet and you're following our program, definitely go back and listen to episode 12 um, to get those details. So Tuesday is the testing day. Um, and from there you'll be able to set your zones and basically set a benchmark. We actually won't be training super precisely to those zones just yet, but it's a good place to see where you are now. And eight to 10 weeks from now, we'll retest and, um, see the improvements. So that makes the first sort of real session training session. Um, if you're following it to the day on Thursday, um, with week one of what we call our base builder trainer series. And again, you can take these outside, but they're designed to be inside. Um, <clears throat> so for really for the next eight weeks, this eight-week block, we're going to have um, more or less three components to each trainer workout. We're going to have our spin-ups, which is um, basically the warm-up, um, but with a very specific point of working on high-cadence drills while we get warmed up. Then the middle portion, or the second portion, is going to focus on ILTs, which stands for Isolated Leg Training, 
which is a fancy way to say pedaling with one leg, single-legged pedaling. Um, and there's two different varieties, which we'll talk about in a second there. Um, then the fourth, or I'm sorry, the third section of the workout <clears throat> is going to be sort of the, it's going to mostly be an aerobic threshold focus, um, which will evolve into an aerobic strength focus. And then by the very end, the last couple weeks, uh, folk get into sort of this in-between, um, you know, a little, little bit above, you know, a lot of people, you might think of it as like a sweet spot kind of interval um, where you're just under that anaerobic threshold um, those last couple weeks. So the intensity will gradually increase for those intervals is basically what that is. And we'll talk more about that um, in actually next week's podcast. Right, because the... you want to focus more on the how-tos in this podcast rather than the whys because right. you don't have a lot of time. There's just so much to cover with how do you do a high cadence spin up and how do you do an ILT? Exactly. So stay and then tuned the f- for the whys for next time. Yes. And then the fourth part, the last part of the workouts for this next eight week block is finishing um, with a high cadence spin. Um, and we'll, I'll talk about that like this week's protocol too. So there's kind of four components to each workout. All right, so component one is that um, what we call spin ups. Okay, so if, if you are following our plan, you click on the day, um, pull it up. It ha- in training peaks, and it has like the whole structured workout laid out. Which, by the way, with this feature, you can download and upload, or just sort of, I don't know what you call it, crossload to your computer um, these structured workouts. So you have it like on your Garmin or Wahoo head unit. You can upload it to Zwift. Um, however, you're doing your indoor training, and also yeah, for outdoor training, you can have it on your Wahoo head unit. And it kind of guides you through yeah. workout outside. Yeah, um, sure. I haven't done a whole lot of that, but um, I have just a little bit. Well, I accidentally one time clicked <laughs> clicked on it by accident when I wasn't going to do a particular workout. I was just going to go ride for fun, and it kept like prompting me the whole yeah. ride to. I think it's a little tricky yeah. outside. It can be done, but it was funny. Yeah, it's a little bit tricky. Oops, I didn't mean to click on that. <laughs> All right, so um, so figure out what kind of technology, how you're going to work that. Or you can do the old-fashioned way of just basically writing it out on a piece of paper, what you're supposed to do, and doing it on your dumb trainer or smart trainer um, and going through the workouts. But I want to talk specifically about how to do these because I get a lot of questions every year on how to do the spin-ups, throw people for a loop, and the ILTs always throw people for a loop. Um, all right, so spin-ups. The, in a nutshell, the goal here, number one, is it's a warm-up. So it's the first 10 to sometimes 15 minutes of the workout. It starts extremely easy, and it works up to some high-cadence pedaling, which may or may not be easy for the individual. Some people who have never done high-cadence work can find it quite challenging and maybe even a tad frustrating at first, but you adapt to it pretty quickly. People that have done high-cadence spinning drills will find this kind of fairly routine, but still very effective. What I think is wonderful about this, the cadence spin-up of the warm-up is it gets you focused on what's ahead. Like, if you don't feel like getting in your trainer, what's the hardest part? Sitting your butt on the trainer. Yeah, and getting going, yeah. And just knowing that you're going to go through the same routine every time is helpful for me. And, like, knowing that once I get, like, five minutes in, like, okay, I'm committed, I'm doing it, I, I'm here, I here I am. Right. So, yeah, it's the, it's the way to get going. So how do you do these? So um, there, there's three separate little intervals. Um, the f- 
Essentially, what you want to do on a trainer is you're going to be getting into your easiest gear and extremely light resistance. And this is what throws people for a loop, especially if they're um, doing this like in erg mode or whatever. If you're doing this in erg mode on a smart trainer, you need to make sure the percentages are very low, which it's, it is that way in the program. Um, and it's going to feel just like you're pedaling along with little to no resistance, which is the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, I think you need to say it again. Easiest gear possible. Yeah. That, that does not make like compete for people. Yeah, easiest gear slash lightest resistance that you have possible. Because what we're going to train here is the ability to turn our legs over very rapidly at high cadences. Eventually, we're going to work up to it. The, the go-to kind of response to this when people in our trainer sessions in-house do this is they're like, this is too easy. They shift down to a couple gears where it just feels more natural, but that's not the point. We're kind of doing it like an isolated drill where we're trying to target this high cadence to really down the road hit these high cadences. You have to be in an easy gear. Otherwise you end up putting out too much power. There's too much resistance to allow you to get to those high cadences effectively and really hit kind of like a peak cadence. Okay. So has to be very light, very easy. The first spin up, <clears throat> you're going to start at, um, what do I have in here? Probably 80. Yeah, 80 RPMs, and you're going to work your way up to 110 RPMs. So you need to have your cadence sensor, and we talked about that in episode 10 or 10. Yeah, it's like getting your training 10, ready. Yeah, so make sure you have your cadence. Um, so 80 to 110, and you're going to increase by 5 RPMs every one minute, Okay. So however many minutes that is. Um, What's great about that, though, is like if you're in a group setting, that's when you're going to be chatting with your friend next to you because there's not a lot of aerobic effort there. And, you know, and you can just oh, yeah, 80 RPMs. It's so easy, and it's like you're easing into the workout, catching up with people. Yeah, you're at 50 so watts, 80 RPMs. It feels like you're doing nothing, but you're just getting going. You're getting warmed up. Then you're going to go after one minute, you go to 85 RPM, another minute, 90, then to 95, and so on, up to 110. Now, depending who you are, 110 may or may not be that challenging, but that's the top for now. <clears throat> if you're new to this, maybe 110 takes some effort and focus. That's great. Just make sure you stay in the easy, easiest gear. Spin up number two uh, for this week on Thursday, um, it's 80 to 120, so we're going to bump the cadence up a little higher. Now, the difference is, is we're going to increase by 5 RPMs every 30 seconds this time, so step it up a little more quickly. Again, getting up to 115, 120 RPM may or may not be challenging. For most people, you know, you got to start focusing around 120 RPM um, at that point. Again, power is very low. And your tendency here, especially when you get above 110, 115 RPMs, is you, you might get a little bouncy in the seat. And so people just naturally want to shift to a harder gear, a bigger gear, to like smooth it out. But again, that's not the point. That's not what we're trying to do here. It's... You're trying to find, or you will be finding that point where you kind of are bouncy and not so smooth. Mm -hmm. And over time, by doing these, you're going to become smoother and more efficient at pedaling these higher cadences. Then the third spin-up is really short because we're going to now increase in 15-second increments. And we're going to work our way from 80 up to 140 RPM. Now, for most people, when you get over about 120, 130 RPMs, it's, it's challenging um, it may not be the hardest thing you've ever done, but it, it takes some focus. 
Um, and it's possible you may, depending on where your ability is, may not be able to get to 140 RPMs, and that's fine too. And you won't be able to get there yet. You will be able to get there eventually. Just get as high as you can, but it's a much more quick increase. You're gonna, every 15 seconds, go by 5 RPMs, work your way up. You're definitely going to more than likely start bouncing a little bit, try and relax, stay calm, stay smooth. Over time, you'll see less bouncing um, over time. Yeah. Yeah, even if you can't get over 115, 120, you'll just hold what you can for the last, you know, 20, 30, 45 seconds and that's okay right and call it good um, call it good and just like, spin easy to the end of the interval what will be encouraging to you especially if you feel discouraged on session one is that as you go through the, the sessions you will be able to oh i could do 125 now and oh i, I saw 132 yeah it's motivating it's to get a little higher motivating and um, smoother like at 120 if you're kind of bouncy now in several weeks you'll be able to sit comfortably for longer periods of time at 120 i know i'll be bouncy at the at 140 for a couple of weeks because I haven't done these in a while. And there's always like that, you know, learning curve again where I have to remember, like, how do I hold my body on the bike? And that's probably the, the biggest thing for me is like, I, I need to stay relaxed, but have a very engaged core. Like, right. are my shoulders up in my ears? Are they okay? Relax my shoulders, relax my grip on my, on my, my top, uh, my handlebars. Thank you. I couldn't even think of the word. And but keeping my core engaged and just letting my legs um, flow in a smooth circle because you might find that you're kind of choppy with it. Just think like circles, circles, circles. Relax, relax, relax. Right. Exactly. It's all about being relaxed, kind of almost unhinging your hips and letting your legs pedal at these higher cadences. And what's hard now or challenging now becomes easy several weeks down the road. And that, like you said, that's very motivating. Um, so when we're done, maybe our heart rate's gotten up some, depending on how challenging this is. You've moved your legs. You're more than likely fairly well warmed up, at least kind of on a leg spinning capability, um, and ready to go into the next set. Okay. So that spin up warm up will remain the same. We'll have some form of spin ups throughout the entire program as, as the warm up because it's just a great neuromuscular, um, warm up and it helps to, solidify our ability to spin higher cadences well, my heart rate gets up and that last the oh, yeah. spin up for sure so then i'm ready to go on right okay all right let's move to the second part of the workout which is those ilts isolated leg training this one also is a little complicated or for people to kind of figure out on their own um so i want to run through that <clears throat> so we pedal with one leg um let's go through some of the there's where to start here? There's two two types of ILTs. Well, can I say one thing yeah. first? I, I think it's very helpful if you have something on which to put your your non-pedaling foot. So our friend Todd was kind enough to build us these little blocks to rest your foot on, because otherwise your 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 non-moving leg sort of dangles there. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> just a little pro tip: like find something at your house, like a little bench, a little something that you can put your foot on. You'll be much more comfortable spinning with one leg. That is true. Yeah. Um, you want to have, yeah, the unclipped foot lightly supported. The unclipped, non-pedaling yeah. foot resting on something. It'll be more comfortable for sure. Um, and there's two types of ILTs that we'll do. We'll do a bigger gear, lower cadence, muscular focused ILT. And then we will do little gear, light resistance, very similar to the spin-ups, neuromuscular ILT. And this is more the first one, the muscular ILT, the, the bigger gear, lower cadence, um, is just that it's going to be training your pedaling stroke and 
your ability to kind of apply more power throughout more of the pedaling circle, so to speak. Um, and it's definitely much more of a strength demand. Whereas the neuromuscular, easy gear, slightly higher cadence ILT, is going to be more of a coordination, pedaling skill. If you haven't done these before, they're extremely awkward. Um, but they help to kind of round out your pedal stroke. Mm-hmm. And neuromuscularly, your everything kind of fires and works to better, works together better um, with these. So let's talk specifically about the the bigger gear, kind of what I'd call strength ILT with these. So um, you will want to be in... Now what I would do is do not use erg mode if you're using a smart trainer. Put it in a slope mode up like a gentle, I don't know, like a 3-4% grade. Okay. Um, if you're in a dumb trainer, you will be probably in your larger chain ring and start somewhere in the middle maybe of the cassette in the back. So a medium to large size gear, medium to heavy resistance is what we're looking for. The target cadence is 60 RPMs, okay? So you're going to unclip your start, whatever you prefer. I think in class we do left leg first. So yes, unclip your unclip right, right, we pedal with the left. Pedal with the left. I've heard you say that a hundred times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're pedaling now. When the interval starts, you unclip that, or just before, you unclip the right, pedal with the left, and you're going to keep it at 60 RPMs, which is one stroke every second. So you can kind of watch the timer as you're going um, at that bigger gear. That um, And it's going to be very much a muscular type of effort. Okay. So if you're pedaling at 70 RPMs, try shifting to one harder gear. If you can't, if you are like at 52 for your cadence, you need to make it easier if you can't be at yes. 60. The, the sweet spot is 60. Yeah, you want to keep it right around 60, plus or minus. I mean, it might bounce slightly to 61, 59. Oh, yeah, yeah. but just like not down to 47 and not at the 70. Exactly. So adjust either your gearing or like if you're in slope mode on a smart trainer, lighten or steepen the, the grade or the slope um, to kind of allow that. Over time, we're going to work through... Um, we're going to build up the duration of the pedaling. We start this first week with just one minute, um, and we'll work up to three minutes as a maximum over a few weeks here. Um, and then when we get there, then you're going to start dropping into steeper slope or bigger gear. So more power essentially as you go, as you get stronger. Um, one thing I like to do for these, um, this portion of the trainer session, and I know you do the same is I like to lap the minute or minutes, depending on where we're at, and see what my average power is for the left leg versus the right leg, and at the beginning of the block versus like eight weeks in, that's also motivating. Yeah. Like, oh, like oh, I can only hold 142 watts for my left leg in this first week, but in eight weeks I can hold 250. Well, maybe too too extreme, but <laughs> I, I increase 50 watts, and you might be able to do that. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. As you, if you haven't done these before, you get you gain a lot of pedaling skill. And also pedaling strength mm-hmm. through this. Um, so they're, re- they're really effective. Um, and we'll talk more about some of the nuances in the next episode next week. Um, things to kind of put a little extra emphasis on. But for this first week, focus on 60 RPM, moderate to moderately high resistance, and being kind of as smooth and strong as you can be per leg. So, you, so you'll do the first minute with the left leg. Then it's designed to have an easy minute with both legs, um, just kind of spin easy for a minute. Then you'll do one minute in that big gear again with the right leg, and then another minute of recovery. So it's a, you know a minute interval with minute recovery, switching legs. 
after that first strength set, we're going to go, you do a neuromuscular set. So for these, there's still one minute on, one minute off, switching legs, start with the left, then do both easy, then go to the right, and then do both easy. And you're done with that set. <clears throat> um, this one, cadence, well, the gear in resistance becomes much easier, very light. Back to that easy gear, very light resistance, very little power, 50, 60 watts maybe. Um, so very light. And the cadence goes up slightly to about 80 RPMs. So it's still not a high cadence. 80, 85 is what I think you've... Yeah. Me the past 80's the, right, but if the you're target. 90, you're kind of cheating. Yeah. If you pedal more quickly, yeah, it makes it easier because you have the momentum of your leg spinning around the circle. So 80 is really the 80, sweet spot. Okay. Yeah. I let people maybe fudge. Cheating, like yeah, maybe you're cheating. Okay, 80, I got Yeah, 80 is the sweet spot. It's the most challenging spot because there's very little resistance. So you're just going to be pedaling with your left leg at 80 RPMs of 50, 60 watts light gear. And if you haven't done these before, if it's been a while, you're more than likely going to be sort of lumpy feeling because there's, yeah, there's very light tension on the chain. And so as you go around this pedaling circle, it's like you're losing and gaining tension on the chain. It might have this actual audible and tactile feel of like clunking, Mm -hmm. pedaling squares kind of thing. Um, And that's what we're going to look to gradually eliminate is making your pedaling more smooth and rounded under these very light loads. So it's, it's not about gaining any real fitness. It's more about the skill neuromuscularly, your muscles working together to maintain a more even tension on the chain under very light resistance. Right, right. The efficiency of a good pedal stroke is what we're hoping to gain. Yeah. So it's actually easier at a higher cadence. It's actually easier in a bigger gear with more resistance. So the idea, we're not looking to make this easier. We want to make this challenging. So stay in that that easy gear that makes it difficult to do at 80 RPMs. Right. And then you'll take your minute recovery and then you'll switch to the other leg and then You'll be ready for the next set, which goes back to the big gear version that we just described. You do another set, then that goes back to the easy gear version. So you're alternating between the big gear version, the little gear version per leg. Um, And we do one, two, three, four, five, I think six. Um, No, three of each in this first week. And they're just one minute long, which is the short. And we'll work up to longer durations um, as we move through. So these are... I actually love these. Um, I think they do a lot for one's pedaling stroke. They're very like engaging on the trainer. The time flies by. Um, and I see so much improvement from people over the years where oh, they haven't sure. done these. Well, I think that's what what made me become a good cyclist so quickly is that you, you put me on this program right, right away and I had to learn to pedal my bike efficiently. Right. Instead of just like, go ride your bike. Right. Yeah. So we're excited to get our hands on a, some new a new batch of athletes uh, joining us um, this year and help them improve their pedal efficiency. Yeah. That makes me excited. Yeah, these are great. And people start out maybe a little... They're just challenging if you haven't done them and they're, they're good to go. So, um, All right, then the third part of the workout are the aerobic threshold intervals. The instructions in the program are fairly simple here. We're going to start getting our heart rates up a little bit into that aerobic threshold zone, um, which once you do your test, you'll be able to identify what that is. But in a nutshell, it's about 75 to 80% of your max heart rate. So it's not hard. It's kind of like beginning to be moderate. Um, Training that kind of 
upper end of the fat burning energy system um, aerobic threshold. And this first week, it's pretty straightforward. It's three, uh, five minute, I believe, uh, intervals. <clears throat> yeah, so you may walk away feeling like you didn't do like the biggest workout of your life, and that's right. okay. You're learning a lot the first several weeks. Exactly, exactly. And um, just kind of getting reacquainted with the trainer, perhaps, and getting going that way and we'll talk a little bit more about like aerobic threshold and all that in the next um, episode as well um, and then to wrap it all up we finish all our workouts all our trainer workouts with a, the steady spin at the end um, and again this is to facilitate recovery flush the legs but also it's a neuromuscular skill um, and just improves your overall cycling ability um, and the way you execute this is to again get back to your easiest gear very light resistance and again it's more challenging if you're in that easy gear with the light resistance you know it'll end up being 60 70 80 maybe 90 watts at the most in terms of wattage if you're riding in erg mode which you can do um you're in probably like around 30 35 percent of ftp which is very light um, and the idea here, we start with um, two-minute intervals, spinning at whatever the challenging cadence is for the individual. Right, so it might be 100, it might be 115, it might be 120. Right. And just the idea, again, back to like the spin-ups at the very beginning, is to relax, spin, zone out. You're, you're essentially cooling down in sorts, flushing the legs, but also learning to maintain um, the high cadence pedaling and learn to maintain an efficient stroke when you're tired. Oh, good point. Yeah. 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 That's a, a great, uh, piece as well. Yeah. Um, and again, it's a couple, it's three intervals, two minutes each spinning. We'll grow that interval over the coming weeks. So you'll get to a point where you're sitting there for five or six minutes at maybe 130 RPM or something. Right. And you've improved your pedaling efficiency and, um, leg speed capabilities. So, um, so yeah, that's the trainer workouts in a nutshell, all the, the pieces of the puzzle. Um, and like I said, we'll dig a little deeper into the kind of whys mm-hmm. of all of this, but and we just wanted to get through the house. If they come and observations we have from coaching this week of what we're seeing already. So reach out if you need help, reach out if you have questions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we're good. We're running a little bit long here um, on the show, but... Uh, how do we want to... Well, we also <laughs> forgot to do a shout-out, a thanks to our friend oh, yeah. John Sisk for loaning us his... Um, microphone. Microphone equipment. We got a little fancier microphone. Hopefully it sounds a little bit better. We're working on improving the show all the time. So thanks, John. We appreciate it. Um, yeah, and let us know, listeners out there, if it sounds better, positive, you know, let us know. If it doesn't sound any better, let maybe let us know, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're trying. We'll, we want to find a good microphone and... Um, this is a place to start, and then we'll see where to, to invest our money um, in. So, And one more plug for our remote plan. If, if you haven't joined but you're thinking about it, it's not too late. Um, reach out. There's a link to sign up on our website, endurance.session6.com. Yeah, and then also we have our Base Builder training plans available on Training Peaks. Uh, if you search Base Builder, um, Session 6 Base Builder, in the plan store there you can get on that and um, even though it won't be exactly what we're doing here like the remote base builder program is but it's very similar um so kind of a low cost option as well so um very good i think we'll call it good there subscribe to our podcast on itunes and google podcasts and uh, leave us a rating and a review 
Um, it helps us in, in the search engine functionality and uh, helps us get our info out to more people. So thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. Have and, a great week. Yeah, we'll talk to you next week.